I, we just wanted to do a kind of a like a, you know, this time of year you're often talking about, you know, framing up the year and stuff like that. Just like, what does it mean to follow, follow Jesus, um, to follow him well this year? And I don't know about you, but um, I don't know why I do it, but every year I seem to find myself always making New Year's resolutions. Anyone else? Anyone else guilty of this trap every year? I don't know if you can see that, it's Homer, expectations, reality. They say that, I was reading, that they say that uh, 80%, 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by February. So if you're still going now, awesome, you're in the top 20%. And then they say only 8% last a whole year. And... I was thinking about that in regards to resolutions and goals and habits and things like that. These things of themselves are not bad things. They're, they're good things. I think they come from a good place in the sense that we want to um, better ourselves and, and better our lives. But I, I was thinking about at the crux of these things, the driver of it is self-help. It's on you to kind of fix your life and to get yourself fit or to get yourself uh, healthy or to do these things. And yes, we can do these as humans, but I think, I wonder if one of the reasons why we fail in this is that we do it all on ourselves. So it's, it's all relying on you to achieve these goals. And I just thought, like, I think we so often approach our walk with the Lord like this. This is all on me. I've got to do this. I've got to faithfully get up every morning read my Bible, have my quiet time. I've got to faithfully do all these things. And yes, there is a, a part that we participate in that. We're not passive beings, but we forget that we are following Jesus. Amen? Like He is the one that is guiding and leading our lives. And so this morning, I just thought it'd be great to, to just look at Psalm 23 and to unpack that a little bit. And just give some just some words of wisdom as we launch into this year. So if you want to join with me, how about standing up? This great psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What beautiful words, Lord, from David that just sum up the spiritual life. And Lord, we just, we just pray that they, those words would just go into our hearts this morning, would they marinate in our hearts this morning as we begin this new year. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, take a seat. This is from James Boyce. He says, Millions of people have memorized this psalm. Even those who have learned a few other scripture portions, ministers have used it for comfort, persons who are going through severe personal trials, suffering, illness, or dying. The psalm, the words of this psalm have been the last they have ever uttered in their life. And uh, I'm sure from many of your experiences of going to funerals and, and sort of things like this, this is a very common psalm that comes up because it's a, it's a very beautiful psalm about, about all aspects of life. And it's written by King David, attributed to him. Um, and we know about King David that he was a shepherd growing up, and then he became king. And he writes this psalm from the sheep's perspective, because he would have had an innate um, experience of knowing what it was like, what the sheep do and wh what their life is like as a shepherd. And he writes this psalm from the sheep's perspective, and in a sense, our perspective as humans, looking at the shepherd who is God, who is leading our lives. And it is a, a, a common theme and picture throughout Scripture that this is the way that God um, how it describes the relationship between his people, Israel, and between himself, that they are the sheep and he is the shepherd. And, and I, I really love that because not only is God king and Lord and all of those things, he's powerful, but I love that he is a shepherd as well. Like He is intimately involved in our lives. He is there with us. He's not farming with drones. He's there with the flock. He's there with us in the midst of our lives. Isn't that awesome? Like that is the God that we follow and serve this year in our lives. So let's walk through this. The first line, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Dallas Willard puts it this way. In other words, I'm in the care of someone else. I'm not the one in charge. I've taken my kingdom and surrendered it to the kingdom of God. I am living the God life. The Lord is my shepherd. And then it says, I shall not want. Some translations it talks about need or without lack. And, you know, looking at our world, we kind of think, like, how can... How can you? How can this? How can David write that? That that I cannot want, or I cannot desire, or I'm I'm living in, without any lack in my life. We all know from our lives that there are things that we are longing for and desiring that we're, I'm, I'm missing out on these things, and our society tells us that that we are, we do not meet the mark, and we need these things to be satisfied, and we need these things to be content. But the natural relationship between the Lord is my shepherd, is that you will not want. What he's talking about here is contentment. Being content in God. And when you have a, a revelation of who God is in your life, and I know many of you have had that, when you had an experience of his love, his mercy, his grace, and his peace, man, that's everything, eh? 
when you have experienced that, you just know, man, this is it. I've got everything. Paul talks about we're, we're seated in the heavenly places. We have every spiritual blessing. Like we are adopted into his family. Our sins are forgiven. We have eternal life with him. When we grasp that, that in those moments we grasp that, it's like, man, to quote Tim Keller, everything else is gravy, right? Like everything else is gravy in our lives. Like the fact that we might not have enough money in our bank account or we can't do that thing we want to do or things are hard in my workplace or my relationships are struggling, but I've got God. So everything else in the midst of all those struggles and things is gravy. Every other blessing or every other thing we get is gravy on the fact that we have God. We have contentment that the Lord is my shepherd. And there's something really relieving about that. I, I don't want to be my own shepherd. It's tiring. It's tiring trying to govern my life. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty cray-cray up here. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm prone to drift and stray, you know, as, um, as Sam shared over the summer period. I need a shepherd. I need someone to guide me and lead me. And that is, that is so refreshing, right? Isn't it? I don't want to be the captain of my fate or the master of my destiny. I want Jesus to do that for me. And it's so freeing when you live into that space. He makes me lie down in green pastures. One writer says um, that sheep do not lie down easily and will not unless four conditions are met. Because they are timid, they will not lie down if they are afraid. Because they are social animals, they will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. If flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. Finally, if sheep are anxious about food or, hung, or hungry, they will not lie down. Rest only comes because the shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. And I, I find in that, that thing where it says he makes me lie down, I, I find that I need God to help me to rest. And I don't know if you, this might be triggering for parents of young kids, but when, I had, uh, when we had babies, we had this thing where they get really tired. And then they get this thing called overtired. Has anyone heard this? And when I was first had a baby, I, was, I kind of thought that was weird. I was like, how can a baby get overtired? Like, either you get super tired and then you sleep heaps. That's what teenagers do. You have the big sleep in. So I was like, this, this baby's crying all night. Surely tomorrow this baby will sleep in. No. <laughs> and what happens is they get really agitated and upset and they do not know, this is the key, they do not know how to put themselves to sleep. And so what happens, to parent, depending on your parenting style, there's lots of things that you need to do to help that child to get to sleep. Maybe it's a, a nice bottle of milk, or maybe it's you've got to swaddle them up into kind of a, you know, sort of nice, so they feel all comfortable. Maybe you've got to walk up and down the hallway a million times. <laughs> I even resorted to, with Hannah, there was this thing when she was in her port cot thing or something, it was like I was on the ground and I was like shaking it under there, but having to be like so she couldn't see me, like this is the sort of ridiculous things that you do as a parent, like you will do anything to help that child to go to sleep, right? We're the same as humans, 
as children, and I think even as adults we do a version of this. Now, when I am super tired after a busy, crazy day, and maybe this is you, you know what I do? I have dinner, and then I just go, right, I'm going to bed because I really need some good rest. No. Sometimes I'm super tired, and I'm so thinking, I'm like, I'm just going to watch that show. I've got to see the end of Jack Reacher. (laughs) Just a couple more episodes, and it's like 12.30, and it's like, oh, yeah, but there's one more episode. It's the finale. I've got to see this. And, well, as I get violent, and, and I, I, I watch, and then I wake up and I feel so tired and exhausted. Now, that is dumb, right? Like, I'm, I am making myself overtired when the best thing for me would to be go to sleep. And I just think it's so beautiful how God works through Scripture, and there's many instances of this with Elijah and others, where some of the times the very first thing he's prescribing for people is rest rest. He's not asking you to come into hyperactivity and to do a whole lot of things that are going to wear you out. He's saying, rest first. He's saying, there is rest here for you, and he needs to, we need to surrender to him and let him help us as a parent, uh, him as a parent to help us as a, like a child to go to sleep, to rest. So that's an encouragement for the year. Put good rhythms of rest in your life. Don't watch that show at 12.30 in the morning. It's not going to give you a lot of joy, you know. You can always catch up later the next day or something like, put good rhythms of rest into your life. Fano. And then it says, he leads me beside still waters. Sheep don't, uh, I was reading, they don't actually like running water. And one of the reasons is that they're not very good swimmers. So if they see a river and it's all rushing, they're like, probably freaking out, it's causing a lot of anxiety, like, we might slip in here and fall over and drown. And so what um, what the, often the shepherds would do is they would go ahead of the sheep a little bit and they would dam up the water, like the stream, and, and create a kind of like a, a, a calm place, like a real still bit of water, so that when the sheep came along, they could lead them there and then they would drink and they'd find refreshment. And... I was just thinking about that, that I, I think this is what God is doing all the time for us. Not only is he encouraging us to rest in green pastures for our souls, but he's also trying to refresh us as well. And so he's creating these little still water places in our lives for us to be refreshed. And I think often we're missing it. I think sometimes we just think here at church on Sunday, this is the only place that you can receive that thing. And you can. I mean, it's beautiful to be amongst the people of God. But man, God's got that for you early morning Monday. He's got that prepared for you at lunchtime tomorrow when you're stressed out. He's got that prepared throughout the week. There are places that we are missing in our lives where God is He's going ahead of us as the shepherd and he's calming the water so that we can come drink and be refreshed. And there's another thing about the grass Sometimes when there's uh, obviously not enough water in a stream or something like that, when you're in green pastures in the morning with the dew, the sheep are able to get moisture from the dew in the mornings. And I just thought about that in the sense of our, our devotional lives. There's something about getting up in the morning, and even if it's for five minutes or two minutes, just sitting in the presence of the Lord and letting Him feed you and refresh you in the morning. Because that's what He longs to do. 
He longs to give you a refreshed, contented life. So I just want to encourage you as you go into the year, start small with these things, but keep it up because there's life here. There's life here. I've seen it time and time again in my life that that when we put these things into practice, I've been in his presence, there is life and refreshment. Is that not working? Can you just go to the next one, Johnny? The good shepherd leads me. He does not drive me. There is a marked difference. In Egypt, where there is no open pasture land, I've often seen shepherds driving their sheep from behind with sticks. But in an open wilderness of the holy land, the shepherd walks slowly ahead of the sheep. He either plays his own 10-second tune on a pipe or more often sings his own unique call. The sheep appear to be attracted primarily by the voice of the shepherd, which they know and are eager to follow. Kenneth Bailey. You know, we are under the control of a good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He said in John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And there's something here to remind ourselves that that God is not driving us. He's not a hard taskmaster. He's actually leading us. He's calling us to this. He's leading us. He is a good God. And the more time we spend with him, the more we become in tune to his voice and hear what he's saying to us as he's leading us through our lives. Right, next one, Johnny. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The idea here is, and some texts it says refreshes, but the idea here is actually almost like a, a sense of being lost. Um, that, that, that sheep have gone astray. And Isaiah says, we like lost sheep have gone astray. We've got lost. And, and it's this idea that, that, that the shepherd goes after the lost sheep that they can't save themselves. They've got stuck in a ditch. They've fallen over. They're, they're at the mercy of wild animals and these sort of things. And the shepherd has to go and find them. And I just think, how, how often in our lives do we go astray? Do we get lost? Do we get stuck? Like we get stuck in stuff that happened in our childhood, our teenage years, maybe even our 20s or 30s. Stuff that we just cannot get through and we're stuck and we need the good shepherd to come and find us and bring us back to the flock. Bring us back to him. Bring us back to community. Bring us back to life. And God doesn't do this begrudgingly. When Jesus is telling that parable of, of the lost sheep, he says when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Not begrudgingly. Oh, man, I've got to... Di- oh, Nick, here you are again. You're in that, stuck in that bramble bush. Like, Ooh, oh, I'm going to have to get you out again. Oh, flanking heck. Can't you get your act together? This is tiring. No, he's like, joyfully picks me up and put me on his shoulder. So Jesus must be super strong because I'm 106 kilos, but... <laughs> He joyfully does this. Like, it's not something he, oh, man, I've got to help my people out again. Oh, here they go. He's like, oh, I love to rescue. I love to find you in the places where you're struggling. And I love joyfully bring you home. To joyfully bring you home. I love that. I love that in the early Christians, for their artwork, when they'd find it, um, all the motifs were mostly of, 
of that picture of Jesus, the lamb over his shoulder. Like that, was the, that was the picture that they looked at, like, man, this is the God we love and serve. He joyfully saves us. And because of all those things, David can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, valleys, just in their nature, because of geography, are sometimes are dark places. Often in, in scripture, you read about get to the hilltops and look, and, you know, and there's something even today about getting that big vision and you can see lots of things and you, there's a bit more safety when you can see what's going on. But in a valley sometimes, even in summer, you can, it can be quite dark and, and that's where the, the sheep were at risk of being attacked by wild animals and also by bandits. And, you know, we, we need to remember there's an enemy of our soul, right? Uh, we have someone, the devil, who who just longs to discourage and distract us. That's his number one job, is to do that. And so he's going to bring things into your life, discouragement and distraction, to try and knock you out of the game. That's what his job is. That's what he's trying to do. And this is, this is where it, this is the, I love how the Bible is so real about life, that life is not full of just perfect moments. There is real evil. There is real stuff of hard stuff that we walk through right but then the psalmist can say this for you are with me for you are with me now i'm just going to nerd out for a second here next slide i know this is a bit early in the year to be doing this sort of stuff so if you're still in your <laughs> summer glaze just glaze over um, this is called a, the Bible often, and especially in Psalms and other scripture and prose and stuff, uses this thing called a chiastic structure. And uh, basically what it is is that um, the midpoint of, you know, in this example, the psalm is the focus of the psalm. And the outside points, how it's got A, B, C, D, D, F, um, kind of parallel each other. So I'll show you on the next slide, go to the next slide. So in this one, we can see, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. You've got contentment. He makes me lie down in green pastures, food and drink. Amen. Any amens to that? Yeah. <laughs> he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's rescue, security. And then look here. I'll jump ahead. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Security, comfort. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, food and drink. And then lastly, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness, mercy, and contentment. But look right here in the middle with me. The reason they did that was because that is the focus of the psalm. And if you forget everything I say today, please take that away with you, that God is with you today. We just celebrated Christmas where we talk about Emmanuel, God with us. That is the beauty of what Christmas is all about, that God is with us, not just back then, <laughs> as Dave is talking about that psalm, not just at Christmas time, but right now God is with us, and God is with you tomorrow as you go to work, and God is with you when you're at, up late night with a baby, or you, or you can't sleep because you're anxious, and thoughts are going through your head, God is with you, friends. In the Hebrew, it's actually quite cool, there's in the Hebrew, there's 26 words before this phrase and 26 words afterwards. Like, how cool how they just arrange all these things. Like, it's a beautiful way. 
And uh, I, I've thought about this often. There's a, I listen to this thing from John Ortberg, a little podcast thing, and he says this little line often. He says, the rea- reality is you're going to have to do life today. You can do it with God. You can do it without God. I love that. Today is going to be real. There's going to be the real challenges and the good and bad stuff that's going to happen. We've got a choice. We can do it with God or we can do it without him. And I'm thinking, I don't know about you guys, but man, I have this time, time and time again of doing life with God, even in the toughest things I've walked through, is so much better than doing it alone. It's tiring doing it alone. Amen? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was a, a relatively short, heavy, club-like device, and then obviously the staff was longer and thinner and had a big crook on the end. And these had two kind of purposes generally. The, the rod was kind of like a, a, def- a weapon basically to you know, whack away wild animals or bandits. And then the staff um, had a, a specific purpose, especially with that crook at the other end, was that it would, it would be reach, it would allow the shepherd to reach out to pull the sheep back if they were going off astray or they needed rescuing out of a hole or something like this. And it was basically yeah, just to pull them back into line so that they'd be realigned with the rest of the flock. And I love that, that, that picture there, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the midst of your difficult circumstance, where you're having your challenge or things are going wrong, is so comforting to know that God is there and that he's not passive, fighting on our behalf, that we can call out to him, we can pray to him in situations. There's a spiritual battle going on in our lives and and our workplaces, and our schools, and all these things, that God is there in the midst of those situations, and he's not passive. And, and sometimes we, we just need to be like, Lord, open my eyes to see you in this situation. Like, Lord, I, I can't see you in this situation. Open my eyes. I need to see you here in the midst of this busy meeting, in the midst of this difficult conversation. God, I need to see you here. And to know that he has, you know, Weapons of warfare to help us in, in situations, to, to fight those battles that we don't need to fight, and then to pull us back into alignment when we drift. I love that. That's the shepherd's heart. It's not a corrective thing. It's a, it's a loving thing to pull us back into line. This is where life is. It's with, with me and with the flock. Like, this is where life is. Come back. Realign yourself. Come back in. And that's a beautiful thing, too, just thinking about his, his arm that it gives him a longer arm to reach to us. It's like God's arms, there's nothing he can't reach into and pull us back out of. No situation, no thing that we've done that God can't reach in and pull us back into life. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. For this, prepare a table. For that, a shepherd would often prepare a table for his sheep by scouting ahead to find good pasture land free from predators and poisonous plants. The Hebrew word here could refer to an animal hide spread on the ground like a picnic blanket. It also could refer to a piece of furniture like the tables that we know today. In either case, it represented an intimate table fellowship, just as a a dining table does today. So this is that thing that God is as, as our host. In the presence of our enemies, in the presence of difficult circumstances and conversations and people, he is he's preparing a space for us of nourishment, of security. Like these are the things that he's doing in that place. 
And then it says, my, my cup overflows. My grandma, um, she's passed away now, so I, I don't want to dishonor her, but she used to make really lame ice creams. So you go to her house, um, she was great in so many ways, but she would make these really pathetic ice creams like it was the cone and then there's this tiny, like almost like a teaspoon scoop. That went in. So it was like just basically cone. You're just like, there's no ice cream here. And <laughs> I don't know if you've had an, uh, the opposite experience. It's dying out now, but there's still a thing sometimes you go to a dairy in summer and you ask for like a scoop and the next thing you've got this monster like that, that's falling apart. Have anyone had that? I had this actually when Amy and I was sort of first going out. I got this bad for a first kind of kind of hangout date thing. I got this ice cream. I think I went for two scoops. And the thing was like falling apart while I'm talking to her. I was making a great impression. <laughs> it's just like ice cream's like falling all over the ground. But that's, the, that's what God's doing here. It's not like it says my cup is just adequately full. It says my cup overflows. It's not a, a cone with a little bit of ice cream. It's a mammoth chocolate dip, you know, four or five scoop jumbo that's fallen all over the place. Like, it's this picture of super abundance. When it talks there about my, you anoint my hair with oil, they didn't have all the stuff to treat sheep like we do to stop them getting sort of infections and bits and pieces. All they had was sort of things like olive oil. And so they would treat the wounds with the olive oil and then they would um, protect them from pests and pestilence and all this sort of stuff by just caring for the sheep. There's a beautiful thing about um, when Jesus talks about I am the gate, that shepherds often would, would sit beside the gate as the sheep came in and he'd sort of, they'd check the sheep and check it. Do they have any wounds? Do they have any brokenness? Okay, I'm going to treat them and care for them as they come in home. Like there's this beautiful healing. There's this beautiful thing of Jesus just taking care of you and your situation. And then there's this beautiful picture of abundance of blessing, right? Like we serve an, an abundant God who's got so much for you, not just a stingy little cone. He's got the jumbo ice cream, the overflow. He's got that for you in every aspect of your life. But man, there is life and life and abundance that you can experience today and for the rest of your life that we are just missing out on often because we're not entering into his presence. Just coming into land now, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Um, just a quote here from Kenneth Bailey. On the way home at the end of each day, the shepherd knows that there is a danger of a wolf or some other predator following the returning herd in the hope that the young or injured sheep might lag behind and become easy prey. If the shepherd has an assistant, one of them will naturally follow closely behind the herd for the specific purpose of preventing such an eventuality. If the shepherd has a dog that an animal can take up the rear guard position, sheep when they aren't lost, know their way home. If there is no assistant sheep and no dog, the shepherd himself can be the rear guard. Not only is God going ahead of us to prepare places of still water for refreshment, not only is God with us, you know, taking care of our wounds and brokenness and pouring out his blessing and love upon us, but he's also following behind us, protecting us and covering us, bringing us home so that we're not attacked by the enemy, that we are loved, that we have security, that we have contentment. Isn't this a wonderful God? And then finally, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
would be, I love those words. I, just, I think that could be my favorite. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a description of the eternal life available to us now in the kingdom of the heavens. The abundant with God life that comes from following the shepherd. Where we dwell and abide with God in the fullness of his life. A life in which all the promises of Christ's gospel are realized. Because of this, we have no reason to be anxious. Why don't we stand?